Welcome to the 79th Guna podcast. Um, it is recorded on the Monday night before Arsenal play Udinese in the first leg of the Champions League qualifier. Uh, the podcast, as ever, is sponsored by Gunashirts.com. I am Kevin Witcher, your host for this evening, sitting in for David Udo, who can't make it this evening. And uh, in front of me are a distinguished panel of guests, all of whom are linked because they are well-established tweeters. And I will introduce them in alphabetical order. Uh, the first up, uh, his Twitter account is John Cross Mirror, and he is the Arsenal correspondent for that very tabloid. It's a warm welcome to Mr John Cross. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, secondly, he was at our last such special guests podcast. That one featured Philippe Auclair and Amy Lawrence. And as he's helped to organise this one, our thanks to him in advance. His Twitter feed sometimes sees as much carnage as Tottenham High Road after the riots. It's a welcome back to the Arsenal Supporters Trust spokesman and a man whose Twitter account has the same name as his passport. It's Mr Tim Payton. Evening, Kevin. And last but not least, you will find him on Twitter under JW Telegraph. And indeed, he is the Arsenal correspondent correspondent for that very broadsheet. It's the first time I have met him, so an especially, especially courteous hello to Mr Jeremy Wilson. Hi Kevin. Right gents, so forgetting Twitter for the moment, today is a significant day possibly in Arsenal's modern history because we've seen uh, the deal finally concluded of Cesc Fabregas going to Barcelona. Inevitable, perhaps, uh, it didn't stop it being a sad day for Arsenal. Uh, but what I'd like to know is what that deal says about Arsenal Football Club five years after they relocated to a bigger stadium. I will start with Jeremy. I think after they moved to the stadium, obviously Arsene Wenger tried to do a different policy with the younger players. And the one person who was the symbol of that was Cesc Fabregas. So I think tonight the thing that I'm wondering is whether that policy has been shown to be flawed now because what you've got is the person that everyone hoped would be the would see through that policy, be the the beacon for that. And actually as soon as he's reached the peak years of his career, sort of twenty he's twenty four now, the next sort of three, four years are gonna be the peak years and he's gone. So if the policy is ever to, to work, you need you need people like Cesar Fabregas, Sami and Nasri going back Kleb. Flamini, you need them there for the peak years of their career, and I think that's the that's the question that I would have now is whether it's sort of shown that that policy, whether that can ever work in the sort of modern football world that we've got with big clubs offering big amounts of money. Well, uh, on that level, uh, John, recent purchases of the likes of Alex Oxlade Chamberlain suggest the policy isn't going to change. So are we in a perpetual motion here? That one did surprise me a bit, I must say, simply because of the notion that I think everyone <coughs> excuse me, I think everyone knows what the asking price is for Gary Cahill, for example, as a centre half. I think you'd have to pay seventeen million pounds for him, which seems slightly excessive, I, I would argue. Whereas Oxlade Chamberlain, I think uh, while I think he's going to be a really good player and I don't want to be sort of down on him in any way, because uh, I do think he'll prove to be a good player for Arsenal and I'm sure he'll he'll win caps for England because um, he's got that much you know, talent at such a young age. I think that the very fact that Man United pulled out because they felt that he 
you know, the price was going off off the scale basically, and yet Arsene Wenger was ready to invest in that style of young player because it, he fits kind of that mould. Um, says everything you need to know about Arsene Wenger's philosophy, not not in terms of a financial guru, but in terms of how he sees things on the pitch. He's so much more interested in seeing flair on the pitch, attacking flair, which is great to see. But you also need that mix with backbone, and I think more Arsenal fans than not would want to see a centre-half as a priority than another um, fancy-down forward player, if you like. Tim, I mean, you know, you have contacts within the, within the club. Are you optimistic that uh, such a thing as a centre-half will actually arrive? Oh yes, I think they will buy one um, before the 31st of August. They, they've said they will. I think they know they have to just to stop kind of the complete emotional meltdown of Gunas at the moment, which you can certainly see on the Twitter accounts and wider. But back to your initial question, I think today was fundamental for the, for the kind of football and business philosophy of Arsene Wenger for two reasons. He's had an approach of buying them young on, on, a, on a view that he can kind of mould them to the ethos of the club. He talks a lot about their belief growing a team together and he's doing that partly to counter the financial pressure that he's under and partly to meet this view he has of how football should be delivered. And what he's kind of run up against is that if you bring in young players from overseas, they've already moved once for money and opportunity. It's very likely that they'll move again, perhaps back to where they've come from in these circumstances. And secondly, with Nasri, for all you can build their career, give them the platform, the minute a big cheque gets waved in front of them, they're off. They don't really have the loyalty in the same way. They're not like supporters, are they? Players are employees. Mm. Supporters will be here forever. We've got no choice. But players will come and go. But I'm going to be really interested to see how Arsene kind of picks himself up from this challenge because I do think it's ripped, ripped away at the fabric of what he's about. So it's concerning times for that reason, on top of the fact we are losing you know, two of our best players. Jeremy, you look like you've got a view there, is it? Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think that the I think that the whole vision of the Arsene Wenger is, that it's so laudable. I think most neutrals would hope it would succeed, but I think it all depends on those players staying for the prime years of their career. Otherwise, as you suggested, you're locked in a cycle continuously, and you replace Fabregas and Nasri, perhaps with Oxlade Chamberlain. Um, Aaron Ramsey springs. To Aaron mind. Ramsey, a new Gibbs comes in for Clichy. And every season, you actually—I mean, I know Wiltshire did brilliantly last year, but he he came into the midfield for perhaps DRB. But uh, but every season, it seems that the, the team is perpetually getting younger rather than older. And what Arsenal obviously need, if they're going to have a chance to really realistically compete to win trophies every year, is for you know the team to mature together. And we're not seeing that happen. I can't think of a player in the last sort of four or five years that's actually been at the club for his peak years I don't know or, or a top player anyway I'm not sure if we can even think of one no no it's they've difficult. either they've either moved on or maybe not quite been good enough and yeah. that's that's kind of the question I would I would have I think it got very close to succeeding last last year and maybe if you'd just gone over the sort of tipped over the sort of edge, edge in those competitions last year maybe it could have been different it would have attracted different players maybe Nasri would have signed a contract I don't yeah. know I, do, I, do, I really passionately believe that I think that Nasri wasn't an accident always waiting to happen in that 
uh, you know, I think I think that perhaps the contract could have been signed, sealed, and delivered a lot better. Um, but that's not to say that I can't. You know, it does wind me up to hear a few people sort of say, "Oh, why didn't they sit him down beforehand?" Well, in fairness, they did. Um, but then you could argue that perhaps they should have nailed it. You know, but I think they were in a position last autumn where they thought perhaps they had got him to agree something, and then you know, by the spring they really felt very confident that he would sign. And during from that time, from the end of the season, where it all sort of went horribly wrong, where I would like to think that the better players, the bigger players, would take their share of responsibility and sort of try and want to stay and put it right the following season. His, his head has been turned. I think it's not just Man City's millions, if you like, and the big contract, but I think that Arsenal could have taken that contract offer further by saying at the end of the season, we're going to do our business quick. We're going to bring in three quality players. We're going to make a statement of intent for this summer. Whether that be Phil Jones, who are there in the market for, not letting get to Man United, and that sort of calibre of player, and then a sort of a quality player as well, say like for example, Mata. I think that that would have been, you know, a statement of intent that would have persuaded Sami Nasri that Arsenal were looking beyond the, the youth policy to try and win trophies. Because I think it has tested not just Fabregas and Nasri's patience, but other players as well. I mean, I think you know you've got the sagas this year. Is, is it going to be Van Persie next? You know, I think Sanya perhaps you know a little bit dissatisfied at the moment, sort of disaffected. And while I'm critical of players not taking their share of responsibility, I think Sanya is one player who's really committed and wants to win things, and he's disappointed when he doesn't. Absolutely. Um... I mean, is there a sense that perhaps in the past Wenger has promised top players that he's going to improve the squad and his failure to do so has actually worn them down? I mean, you know, it's, it seems to be every summer frustrating for fans. Surely that goes for the players as well I mean the best players want to play alongside the best players and when they can clearly identify that the squad is lacking and there's money in the bank um, in a way they're, they're justified in, in questioning the club's ambition do you think Wenger's an idealist who thinks actually it's all going to come good or do you just think he's been hampered by not being able to spend the money that he thought he might be able to well, I, I, I guess that he, he, I do think he lives in an ideal world, and, and maybe that hasn't sort of come to fruition of late, you know, which which is sad to see, really. I mean, I think it has done in the past. I always look upon sort of, you know, after winning the Invincibles, as sort of, as a sort of a, 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 a sort of a line in the sand, and thought he'd build a different team, go a different way, and build the perfect team. And I think what what I think has been frustrating up until this summer has been this sort of faith in, in youth in this particular style of play, sort of total football, which some of those players I don't think are, are, are quite up to. You know, some of them are, but some of them aren't. And I think that that's the frustration. But I think you need to, to have a better blend of strength, physical strength, experience and that youth. And I think, you know, if you look at sort of Jack Wilshere, you know, I think I think he would have you know, love to have seen a sort of big dominant centre half sign before now, because it's just it's just a you know it's a it's a model for him, isn't it? You know, it's a sort of someone to look to and sort of identify with. Well, there's also the idea the idea of a minder. You know, I mean, 
Arsenal do get into a lot of scrapes of the type we saw on Saturday at Newcastle and there doesn't seem to be a player <clears throat> in the midfield or defence who can sort out the, the the Joey Barton type of player to basically protect his teammates. Arson has, has, has never really been a manager and it was in, instructing to listen to David Dean talk about him on the radio last week who's built for, bought the proven big name player. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think Dean called him a developmental manager. Mm -hmm. He likes to buy a player and assist him become a world-class player and watch the growth occur. And I think, you know, in many ways, that's why he had a limit last year with Jaggy Elka and wouldn't go above it and was happier buying Koscielny and Scalacci. Scalacci was clearly cover, but you can sort of see the Arsene Wenger that would love to prove every, to everyone that he can find this player like Koscielny and bring him on over his entire career. He's never bought in the big-name player, has he? And he's never really brought in the player who does a job. That, that sort of football phrase that we use, mm. bring him in, he'll do a job. He's always brought in young talent or unknown talent to move it on. And I think over the years, it's sort of, it's built upon itself to the extent that we've got a team that's entirely based on talent that needs to prove itself and then ends up perhaps missing qualities that, again, I use the club's words here, but Ivan Gazidis talked at the AST Q&A about being ugly enough to kind of drag it over the line and just having the solidness. But the strategy of the last few years has created a team like that. It's a team that has very, very little experience of, you know, the tough final rugged days of, of, of winning trophies. Mm, I think the great shame was that it was it was so close last year. I know yeah. that it's that probably grates on Arsenal fans to hear that because it's sort of, you hear that every year to some extent. But I think last year that the team very nearly matured together, and I remember the Stoke game was it where they picked up a few injuries before the Carling Cup, and I kind of felt that night was what what sort of killed the the team in a way because Van Persie got injured that night. Yeah, I think one or two Walcott, other important Walcott got injured, mm -hmm. and I thought at that moment you were ready to win the league. I thought you might win the league, and I thought you had the best overall squad. But football's so much about momentum, and what's happened since then is that that didn't happen. And I think that what's happened with Fabregas and Nasri is just such a terrible blow, really, to, to a, because I think if they'd have stayed and then you'd have got Vermaelen, if you've got Ramsey back, I think you would have had arguably the best squad this going into the season. You make you know, such a good point on the timing there, Jeremy, and the, the thing that will always baffle me is why in January, when he had a squad so clearly so close, but perhaps a bit thin, including Vermaelen out, that he didn't use some of the £30 million pounds that was at his disposal. Two years ago, he's done an absolutely amazing job in recent years without having the money to spend, but it's almost like he'd become so accustomed to not having it that when it appeared, I, I, you know, we'll never know for sure, but two solid £10 million pound players in January would almost certainly have silverware, I think we can say. It was yeah. a very good bet on it, and it would have been an investment worth making. And I just, you know, I suppose one day we'll understand... What, what happened there? Why that final push wasn't made? Mm. I think it was just one centre back. So I think when you had yeah, probably when you had Kushelny and Juru, it was okay. When Scolacci came on, it was a bit of a, a, well, worry, I, I've a, bit heard, of a disaster. And then after that, there wasn't really anybody else. And it was. I've heard we were very close to getting Samba in January. I mean, do you know the story behind that? Well, I, I think it, it's sort of um, it's typical of, of of quite a few Arsenal deals. You know, they go in for them. 
the player gets very excited because you know it's Arsenal coming in for them and the, and the deal seems to be well underway and then for whatever reason they seem to, to back off whether that's sort of a change of heart they're not completely convinced that he do the job I think there was also an element of that time that oh I think you know Vermaelen needs one more week one more week you know and, and sort of you know perhaps and you know I think what sticks in what takes us back to almost their original point is Fenger doesn't want to block off the progress of mm. someone like De Jure, you mm. know who, who's a you know undoubtedly a good young player but my argument is that United go into the season with kind of five centre-backs to try and win the league. Arsenal were trying to busk it with four. And, and they needed Samba, they, whether they, or not they you did. Know, other, other injuries had taken place. I mean, first question Kevin asked is, asked me is, will we buy a centre-back? And I can say yes, partly with confidence, because on Friday, Wenger said he would buy a centre-back. And what was the reason he gave? Because Thomas Vermaelen only played five games last year. Yeah. But when Thomas Vermaelen was actually injured and not playing games, he didn't buy one then. Yeah. Now, I know he's partly using slight smoke screens, and he might say because Vermaelen has um, only played five games because he doesn't want to sort of come out and tell his current centre-backs that they're not good enough and he might buy another one. Hmm. But it's still... There's, to me, there's, there's something not quite right in that in that storyline of what happened there. No, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't sit with me. So but I do think it, it is a typical representation. I think, like this summer, you know, is the centre backs. You know what you have to pay for Cahill. It's fixed price. You know, Jagielka. They've gone for a couple of bits, and you know, and then uh, it, it's inc- you know Samba. I think there's obviously some still interest in Samba having gone for him in January. But then all of a sudden, it's like, can we get better value out of Dan? Is Mertzaka still available? And it's it seems to be all over the place, you know, in terms of in terms of the buys, and you know, I I think that they sort of quite had some talks with Dan last week, and and Dan thought it maybe was going to get done, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, I think Mertzaka might be in the pot, you know, back in the in the melting pot. So, you know, that that is just typical, I think, and that is maybe the frustration. I mean, you, sp- you speak to sort of various agents, and I think that that they you know get very frustrated on occasion that Arsenal are not particularly decisive. You know, I I think the worst defender at that is, is Arsene Wenger, who not particularly does deals badly, but just just preys on his mind so much about sort of you know wanting to get the right deal for the player for the club at the right price. And sometimes you you know you just got to compromise on the, the, the little bit little few things like mainly about price. I think. Mm. I think it was the same the season before as well. I remember. I know that Schumacher hasn't come in and been a huge. Success. I know he played well at the start of last season, but he was attainable the season before in January and in the summer. And and in, and in that season, I thought what cost you was the fact that you didn't have a, a striker oh, option. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Mm. And if you'd have just done the deal for Shamak, you may have won the league that year. It wasn't a million miles away either. And it is. And but I always also think that it's very easy to pick holes in the the one or two places where it's falling down, and it seems does seem obvious. But the reason. I think also you have to give Arsene Wenger credit for the fact that you are so close, um, are so close with the, the group of young players that you've got. And okay, we could say one or two more would have made the difference. But the fact that you're in that position where you are that close with a group of players that sort of yeah. average age is is a, an amazing achievement in itself. I think, um, and I think if you went completely the other way and had a manager who just bought ten. Eight million, six million player here and there, and just sort of try to sort of put them all together. You might be a sort of team that finishes about eighth, mm. but 
that's only my kind well, of I, I would take agree, on you, it. Know, you, you know, just is it three or four points behind two teams that spent fifty million pounds more on their wage bill last year and probably two hundred million more net on transfers over the last two or three years. So it's like there's so much genius in the manager to come so close. One of the questions is, you know, where's the check and balance to him or the support, the mentor, to just tip him on the one or two yeah. other things to add to all the brilliant Almost stuff makes it more frustrating. It's, in a way. I often think it's the classic stereotype of the kind of flawed genius. So good at so many things, but mm. the odd, really obvious blind spot that everyone can see. Yep. But them, I'm absolutely with Jeremy on that. There's so much that is good there, and in many ways, is you know it, the fact that he's competitive with these other teams is fantastic, and you just kind of want to help him, don't you? Yeah. Just come on, Arsenal, buy that central defender. No, absolutely. Get yourself Do you there. feel like there needs to be someone at the club who will just? Yeah. I mean, you, you guys were probably following it more closely in the days of David Dean, and would have a better insight than that. But everyone says that he would perhaps. Go and do the deals. I always, when, I always when, remember when this, this, this great story in a sort of a pre-season thing. I think it must have been 2002, and sort of Arsenal. I think probably needed reinforcements in 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 the midfield, and he sort of, I think, sort of you know, sort of sauntered up into into the press box on some pre-season friendly or other, and sort of you know says to the assembled people, you know, please meet my world new our new World Cup winner Gilberto Silva. You know, it's just how does he pluck in? From, you know, I know he's just won the World Cup, but if you think about it, in club terms, from relative obscurity, for not too much money, and yet, you know, Gilberto goes on to be a fantastic, I think, servant for the club. He's done the deal, and it's it, it's done without too much fuss or, or, or bother, and, and, and yet he's in there. And I think there's, you know, I think a lot of it will come down to kind of, you know, his word in in the ear of Wenger sort of saying, you know, we've got to do this, we've got to get this one. I remember sort of having one of my most frustrating conversations with Wenger at a press conference about the centre-half issue last season, when he was sort of saying, oh, you know, surely you need, because I think they were down to two, because um, Scalacci was playing and then Vermaelen was injured and I think De Giroud perhaps had a knock, and we were having this discussion, and I was sort of saying, well, surely you need another one, don't you? You know, and they couldn't quite get... Sort of, and he was saying no, because what if Marlon comes back and then De Jure comes back, then we've got five. How am I going to accommodate five into five into two? And if you have five positions into into every position on the play, we end up with fifty players. Well, you're not going to, are you? Because if you have, you know, you have two right backs, two left backs, five at centre back, you know, six players for your three central midfield areas, and maybe a melee of six players for your forward positions. But that's the way he thinks. You know, it's like. He's got a set way in his mind, and he won't. You know, and he takes. If one thing I've noticed as well, going to press conferences, if you ask a sort of specific question about centre back or why didn't he do this or that, he he takes it as a criticism mm. of his whole philosophy. And actually, a lot of us probably think his whole philosophy has been excellent, mm. but we just think it's, it's kind of the things around the edges. Mm. But he doesn't seem very good at listening to people who will. Criticise something specific, he'll take that as a, as an, a, 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 you know, an a, a attack on his whole method, which I think is a, I think that's absolutely. A problem for and, him and, and in some ways, he is now absolutely the dominant power in that club, and it's the first. This is the first summer that we'll have had for twenty five years without either David Dean or Danny Fisman in the boardroom. Mm. I know Danny was much more behind the scenes, but both of them were Arsenal men through and through, committed, ruthless 
on the front foot for making our Arsenal stronger. But I think one of the important things here is both of them were there before Wenger. And while they both hugely rated him and supported him, they had that sense of authority to him as well. They could challenge, they could act as a confidant. Now, of course, Arsene you know, has watched a new owner come in who's thousands of miles away, not much relationship there. A chief executive who I do, I actually rate as a, as a very good operator for the club, but has come in right towards the end of Wenger's time. And he, you know, had to get on with Arsenal to come in and in many ways, you know, works to him rather than him the other way round. There's, there's no longer, if you like, that senior directing mind influence to say come on there's some money here you can mm. spend it it's we've made it spend it look what we've done with this stadium and brought in the money or what about doing this what about doing that I'm sure when people look back on this period they'll realize the absence and, and you know remember that you know sadly Danny's death recently but the illness he had has taken him out of the loop for a couple of years really mm. for being able to concentrate on these kind of issues and I, I think you know it's quite lonely in a way for Arsene that he needs a confidant or, or, or a mentor in there to help with some of these issues. I think hopefully, I mean Ivan's been in now, is it two years, two and a bit years? Two, one, more, oh, two and a half years. Two and a half years, so you would hope that it, he's grown into the role now. It must be a pretty, we were talking about it, I've talked about it before, it must be quite a tough role to come into as a chief executive of a Premier League football club in Europe when you've, you've, you've worked in America. Yeah. And I think that, I think that there's a, a, a platform for him now really to step in to step up and maybe really have a bigger voice at the club and maybe you know direct not direct Arsene Wenger but maybe work more as an equal with him than, mm. than perhaps has, has, has felt like the case well, so. I think it must be a source of frustration I'm pretty sure it is that you know that I, I, I think Aziz would like Arsene Wenger to spend more money you know and that sure he would it's it's you know it's sitting there, isn't it? The money is sitting there. This is not beyond question, you know. As, as you, Tim has backed me up, sort of, it's, it's thirty-five million pounds available in the last couple of windows, and clearly that there's money to be spent from sales, you know, in this window. And I think the the one thing that I think that sort of get fans excited and also give them hope, and that sounds awfully patronising, but I think it's true, is is, is good new signings and having lost top players I think that you know the, the one way to, to restore kind of a bit of belief from the players and the fans but really you know so much so the players like Van Persie I reckon you know a marquee signing would be fantastic you know to, to give him confidence and belief and really get the team and the players going again and challenging for silver. And, and, and marquee signings make money shirts are sold I'm sure if there'd have been a big marquee signing this week we'd have seen a rush in ticket sales for tomorrow night, which isn't sold out, because people want to come and watch the new star yep. player. Um, and it do, you know, we, sort of, you know we, we do desperately need that just to lift everybody, don't yeah, we? Yeah, absolutely. You know? I think if you, you know, almost manage or manipulate the squad slightly, if you lose Fabregas and then Nasri, perhaps with players who want to move on, but you replace them with you know, a quality central midfield player, exciting player like Mata, you know, maybe if you can sign a sort of a, a, a forward, you know, it's almost getting into fantasy football here, aren't you? But I mean, then a centre, you know, centre half of quality. All of a sudden, you've lost, you know, two quality players. Of course, you have, but then you sort of built up the squad, and if you brought in three or four, you know, and lost two, I think it would be exciting again. I think that would be reinvigorating. I think that the players want it to happen as well. I mean, yeah. that that Fabregas interview in Spain that became very controversial. 
not not actually for what he said, but for the fact that it wasn't approved what he said. But it was almost like a cry for help in terms of I want you know we were, it, it wasn't a case. Whereas Arsene Wenger talks a lot about not blocking the opportunities for the young players. Actually, they were actually saying no. We would like one or two experienced players. Mm. But having said all that, I do have some degree of sympathy when when Wenger says talks about. I know that this frustrates fan talks about getting better quality than he's already got. Because I do think that the centre backs that we go on about Cahill, Jagielka, Samba, Dan, are they really better than Koscielny, Giroud? Well, I, Maybe school actually, I personally but think are they? I mean, they're playing for teams I think that, that finished Koscielny, I in think the middle of the table. No end, but I, I do think that I think I can Koscielny see why he worries, thinks about yeah, that though. To, I, I, I just feel that I don't think not, I think Dan would be a squad player, and I think Dan would come in for Skrillachi. Yeah, but I think Samba would be a contrast of what you've already got because yeah. he's just you know he sort of heads it, kicks it. It's pretty basic, but he's. The warrior that Arsenal needs. I think they clearly so need a fourth one. Yeah, I, I do think. I'm not sure about. I'm not, never quite sure about Koscielny. I've got to say. I think. I think the uh, the reasoning for looking at an English centre back is because of the type of games where Arsenal get found out on set pieces, where it seems that uh, you know the likes of Koscielny are getting caught out mm. physically. Um, but on that note, I'm actually going to wrap up this particular edition of the podcast. We will continue after a short break. But uh, just to uh, do the formalities, the email address for the podcast is gunapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, gunashirts.com. Uh, quick goodbyes from the panel for this one. Thank you very much to John Cross, Thank you. Uh, Tim Payton, Thank you. and Jeremy Wilson. Thank you. We'll be back with more shortly, but for now, I'm your host, Kevin Witcher. Farewell, thanks for listening. La di da di da, la di da di dee, all good friends and jolly good company. Way!